This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 64th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from a Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I am great, Cameron. How are you? I'm doing very well. I have something very important to announce, and that is that support for the Missouri Sports Podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Guys, it's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I am talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. This revolutionary company, Manscaped, has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. The Lawnmower 2.0 comes inside their Perfect Package 2.0, which makes for the perfect gift this holiday season. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. That sounds great, Kyle. Uh, the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0 also inc- includes the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, right, Kyle? Yes. Why aren't you putting it on the smelliest part of your body? The Perfect Package will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxer briefs that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. It's time to upgrade over those used pair of boxers to Manscaped's high-performance anti-chafing boxer briefs. And tis the season to Manscaped, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BIGHEADS. Clean yourself up and make Santa proud this year. Use code BIGHEADS. So Kyle, that was our first ad. How do you feel about it? Uh, it was not awkward at all and the the most perfect thing I could have possibly ever imagined. Yeah, I thought we did a good job. So hopefully people will use that code. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, use those boxer briefs. Support the network and everything will be great. Mm-hmm. So we are going to talk some Missouri sports. We've got basketball to talk about, football to talk about. But first, we do have some news. And really, the only item that I found when I was looking through things is that Mizzou Hoops will compete in the 2020 Myrtle Beach Invitational, along with Utah State, Loyola Chicago, Penn, Charlotte, Dayton, Pittsburgh, and Nebraska. We just can't escape Nebraska, can we? They just they just keep coming around. They just keep coming around, especially on this podcast. But uh, yeah, that's that that was announced today, and that is a pretty decent field. But obviously, I you know it's a year away. But I have to think Missouri has a pretty good shot of uh, taking that one. It would honestly be really cool to see them match up against Nebraska. That seems like seems like over the years Missouri has run into some former Big Twelve foes a few times. You know they've played. Texas in football, Oklahoma State twice, um, Iowa State in basketball now twice. Kansas State and also... Well, Kansas even in the uh, showdown for relief. Yes, uh, and exhibition. West Virginia. Right. Which well, was, That's not yeah, really... Uh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it seems like they've somehow avoided Nebraska all this time. Yeah. And hopefully... And Nebraska, I think, is going to be good with Fred Hoiberg. So hopefully they get to match up against each other maybe in the championship oh wow do you know anything about uh nebraska hoops over there producer cameron no nice uh <laughs> good analysis i don't think they're very good this year uh but they could be next year who knows uh so yeah we're well, looking forward to that it's I, very possible definitely not me i don't know okay thank you for that honesty <laughs> but uh it's very possible they could play nebraska and kansas next year that'd be pretty cool and if everybody sticks around, they might have a pretty good, pretty uh, salty squad next year as well. So that'll be fun. Missouri? Or... Yes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I agree. Plus when they add uh, Josh Christopher. That's true. That's very true. Did you see the um, poll going around Twitter? Uh, I think it was 
the Mizzou Twitter superstar M-I-Z Chris. <laughs> he uh, tweeted out, what would you rather have next year? Tillman for his senior year. If you can only have one, Tillman for his senior year or Josh Christopher yes. as a freshman. I did see that tweet, and I believe I actually uh, felt led to respond to it to mm-hmm. explain my choice of Jeremiah Tillman because I just think that he offers something that Missouri doesn't get in other in other players on the team. There's not very much depth in that position. If he's not there, I don't know who steps up. If Josh Christopher's not there, I think others step up. That's that's my reasoning. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. However, I would vote Josh Christopher kind of just for the new shiny thing. And it'd be really cool to see what a top 10 player would actually do sure. if they were healthy and got to play for a full season. If Josh, if Josh Christopher does come to Missouri, uh, what are the chances he plays more than one year? 1%. Really? Yeah. You think he's that much of a lock for a one and done? I think even if it were like the 14th pick or something like that, I think he would still, I think that would still happen. When you, if you look at a guy like, um, <coughs> excuse me, who was the guard for Kentucky that just went in the first round this past year? Tyler Hero? Uh, no, the other one, Johnson. Yeah. Keldon? Keldon Johnson. Yes. I kind of see that as a comparison okay. of a guy who didn't blow anybody away necessarily in his one year in college, but just was always going to be a one and done, you know, and nobody would have been shocked if he came back for a second year, but that's just kind of how I see Josh Christopher. That's fair. And... I don't know when you have when Tillman has performances like he did against Moorhead State it kind of makes me think how irreplaceable is he and I'll probably kick myself if he does leave and we don't get to have him next year but those thoughts kind of creep in and we'll talk about why maybe here in a second because that's a perfect segue into the two basketball games that Missouri played this past week and they were both wins the tale Uh, of two Tillmans exactly yeah, that's that's fantastic wordplay you right like there. You like that? Yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> so, Missouri won 75-56 over Wofford. We'll go ahead and talk about that win first. And as you alluded to, Jeremiah Tillman was pretty dominant in this one. He led the way on offense uh, from an efficiency standpoint. He had, nine, uh, had 16 points on only seven shots, and he made a three-pointer. And he stayed on the floor for 26 minutes, which is exactly what they want from him. Yeah, I not. I'm still not sure. I want him like shooting threes, but that was still pretty pretty cool to yeah, see. Didn't look bad. Uh, that's obviously one thing that nobody else has done that well besides maybe Mark Smith. So good for him. Speaking of Mark Smith, he was four of eight from three. He had 19 points, so technically he did lead the way. Uh, Drew Smith had seven assists. And in an interesting development, Parker Brown was the primary backup at the five spot. So when we previewed the roster and talked about this guy, we kind of just said, well, if he can just come in in an emergency situation and not be terrible, then that'll be great. Yeah. And I think he did a little bit more than just not be terrible. Yeah. I I think at this point, he adds a little bit more than Reed Nico does, um, just because he's clearly more mobile and a little more and quite a bit more athletic. Um, I, I'm not sure that the scoring threat is tremendously more than than Reed brings, but definitely the rim protections there. Just I don't know, just having somebody who can probably defend a little better and and move around is just really refreshing. Now he did get out rebounded a couple times. Um gave up a couple offensive rebounds that was kind of frustrating but yeah that's something he can get better at right. clearly he's gonna have to improve there yeah and Conzo martin's not gonna tolerate that for very long so he'll he'll throw somebody else in there just to try to see what's going on i mean he would i feel like he would turn to mitchell smith as a backup five if necessary mm-hmm. if the other guys just aren't getting it done um we also saw that Mario McKinney and Trey Jackson did not play a single minute in this one. 
So it was kind of a shorter bench than we have seen so far this year, which you can expect that to some extent. Uh, the freshmen aren't always going to play a ton. Um, what did you think about just Kobe Brown being the the guy that started at the four and they didn't even really try to go to Trey Jackson at all against Wofford? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. At this point, I, I still kind of think they should be in the just data collection stage and just kind of like they did in the Moorhead State game, just kind of playing them both, just seeing who gets the hot hand, who does well. I, I think I preferred that. I, I think they both bring some nice things, some different skill sets. Um, I I don't I guess I don't really have even an explanation for why they may have done that, but I guess they just felt like Kobe brought uh, maybe a better matchup against Wofford. Anything else specifically about the Wofford game you want to talk about? Um, I, you know, this is a good win and I think it's easy to, to overlook it and just say, oh, Missouri should have won that game by 20 points or whatever, however many they won by, um, but I, I really think this is a solid win. Um, it's a team that's going to win a lot of games this year, potentially in, in their league. I mean, I think they could be a 20 win team this year and they really, I, I was a little uneasy coming into this, knowing how well they can shoot. They've got some really good guards. And so I think Missouri shut them down and uh, you probably would have known, would not have known that this is a pretty good team if you just watched this game and didn't know anything about Wofford. Right. Because Missouri's guards made them look very pedestrian. So I, I've just been blown away continually by uh, Missouri's defense and their intensity in the perimeter. And I, I, I don't know, their guards are, are defending very, very well right now. I'm maybe not quite as high on Wofford's outlook this season, but it'll still it's still just a good sort of barometer just to see Missouri just take care of business like they're supposed to. And the defense that Missouri has been playing has just been phenomenal. I mean, they're in the top 10 in Kempom in adjusted defensive efficiency. And now, including the Moorhead State game, they have not let a team score 60 points in regulation. And with this matchup against Butler coming up, I think that that might continue unless they, until they either play Oklahoma or Stanford. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I can't get over how well the defense has played and they're just teams like Wofford that are supposed to be good shooters. They are making them look terrible. So the Moorhead State game, uh, like you said, the tale of two Tillmans, he had a pretty big drop off, um, just five points and four rebounds. He also turned the ball over five times and it wasn't like he was really in foul trouble. I mean, he played the same 26 minutes as he did in the Wofford game. He just was not nearly as effective and turned the ball over a lot, way too much. Um, Drew Smith and Mark Smith were the go-to guys on offense. Mark Smith, again, leading the way with 21 points and three three-pointers and also eight rebounds. So he was kind of all over the place stuffing the box score. Yeah, Mark Smith has really impressed me so far this year. I, I mean, he's been Missouri's best player consistently, at least on the offensive end this year. I, I mean, he's just he's the only player that's consistently shooting well. Um, he's shown that he can be more than one-dimensional, and he's scoring from all over the floor. Um, he's almost just almost quietly doing it. I don't know. It's just you look down, and he's got 21 points. I don't know. Um but we really need him to, to, to continue to be as consistent as he's been and unless these other guys are going to pick up some of the slack because um, right now they're, a lot of the other guys are not playing very well offensively. Yeah, Mark Smith's scoring ability reminds me a little bit of Jabari Brown. I think he can pull up maybe from not quite as deep as Jabari could, but he can shoot it from anywhere and he's really good at getting to the rim. And that was kind of Jabari Brown's whole offense was either was either a three-pointer or a shot at the basket. And that's kind of what Mark Smith is developing into. Um, there, were, there was one time in particular that uh, the announcers called it out specifically. Uh, Jarrett Sutton was on it immediately where he got called for an offensive foul when he could have, after a really good pump fake, just taken a dribble or two and then pulled up. But he tried to get all the way to the rim and got called for an offensive foul that was pretty obvious. And... It's good that he is attacking the basket, but when it's, you still need to be a little bit more unpredictable, I think. And when a team knows if he's not shooting the three, he's going to try to get all the way to the rim. 
Um, I think SEC defenses will be even better at kind of limiting the, limiting those opportunities. But a mid-range two-pointer is not a huge part of college guards' repertoire. Mm-hmm. Nor probably should it be. I mean, right. <laughs> I just honestly kind of cringe when I see guys taking long twos just because statistically I don't feel like it's the best shot on the floor. and It very rarely is. Yeah. So, yeah, you can probably deal with a, a couple offensive fouls every once in a while if he's just being aggressive and trying to get to the basket. Yeah, but I do understand your point that every once in a while <clears throat> it probably isn't the worst thing ever to shoot some long twos just to create some differentiation on tape and so to guys just to don't know automatically what you're going to do with the ball. You talked about his game kind of just his numbers just kind of quietly creeping up on you, and that has always been the case with him and his rebounds. Like, yeah. they just – you look down and he's got six rebounds in the first half in some games or, you know, at the end of the game, he's leading the team in rebounds. And you're just like, well, how, I don't really know how that happens. But I mean, when Tillman is struggling and you can't really rely on the other bigs for re, uh, consistent rebounding, he and Drew Smith and Javon Pickett are going to have to pick up the slack there. And he's definitely shown that he's more than capable of doing that. Um, Going back to the freshman again, McKinney and Trey Jackson did play in this one. Jackson had seven points in just seven minutes, but also committed three turnovers. Yeah, he looked fantastic at the beginning of the game. Um, had an and one, uh, had a dunk. Um, <clears throat> I, I really like the way he, uh, Trey Jackson looked at the beginning of this game. I think he took a three and missed, but um, it's, it looks seems good that he's looking confident, um, not afraid to take some shots, and get in there and um has has the green light clearly um at times at least so and i think the the people that have been playing the four spot in general have been doing a good job of just kind of playing within themselves and taking those dump offs from tillman or just kind of filling that opposite side of the paint and getting those putbacks and stuff like that those those how many times i think we've seen five maybe just like dump offs to kobe brown or trey jackson for an easy dunk and that's all you really need them to do if they can splash a couple of threes along the way even better but if they're just playing okay defense and that's defense and just kind of offensive awareness i think is the place that kobe brown has shown he's ahead of trey jackson Mm there will be times where in on offense trey just seems a little lost or he'll kind of have a lackadaisical pass that gets picked off or tipped or something like that. So that's going to be his biggest area to improve as we go along. And I think that might be what keeps him from getting 15 minutes per game come SEC play. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I also think that uh, Kobe Brown is just a little bit ahead of him defensively as well. Um, He just continues to surprise me with his athleticism. I know one, one play I have in mind is uh, literally as time expired in the first half when he had the kind of breakaway steal he like jumped in the passing lane mm-hmm. like the top of the key which just yeah. seemed kind of impressive to me um, considering what position he plays and then he you know took it all the way and kind of laid it in with a nice finger roll and just he looked, looked very really athletic oh, yeah. yeah and that's one thing that I feel like Missouri has done really well this year is close out first halves pretty strong and they did it against Xavier and they did it obviously against Moorhead State and Moorhead State was kind of coming on there you know in the the second half of the first half if you will and uh, Missouri kind of shut it down and went on a little run of their own to to close out the half so it was that was good to see them kind of have some resolve and make some nice plays there um, to finish the first half yeah I think at the finishing the first half and then into the second half they went on like a 18 to 2 run and kind of put it out of reach at that point um they they've just forced their opponents into these scoring droughts that are just incredible mm-hmm. i mean wofford's was like 14 minutes without yes. a field goal they, they literally finished the last 14 minutes of the game without a field goal that's they insane. shot a lot of they made a lot of free throws but right. they didn't have any field goals that's crazy i mean if you can do that for half of that time in a game that's going to be a huge advantage mm-hmm. yeah so now clearly Missouri can can do that on defense they just have to take advantage of those of those moments when the other team is not scoring and and score themselves because they they have the tendency to go a long time without scoring too right yeah it does not take exceptional defense to shut out Missouri for 
four, five, six minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. Anything else in particular about the Moorhead State game or just this uh, season so far? Moorhead State looked better to me than I was expecting. Um, I didn't, you know, not that they were going to come in and and beat us or anything, but I, I definitely was impressed by their shot making ability under the rim. I thought they had some really nice finishes on layups and stuff like that. I think I, I thought they were actually better defensively in the half court at times than I was expecting. So um, I don't think they're going to go on and play in the NCAA tournament or anything, but I definitely thought that they were uh, a better opponent than I was expecting. Yeah. Jordan Walker, that their main uh, offensive threat at the guard position, he was pretty impressive. I mean, he did not look like a Ohio Valley conference player. He looked like a, a power five point guard. So after five games, Missouri sits at four and one. They're ranked 33rd in Kempom as we speak, 79th on offense and seventh on defense, which I don't think anybody, I mean, we knew that Conzo Martin likes to have a good defensive team and we knew that this team was capable of it, but I mean, top 20, sure, mm-hmm. but seventh in the country, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some of those high rank, th- this high ranking probably had something to do with where they started as well. I don't know at what point those b- beginning rankings kind of start to filter out, but I definitely do think Missouri is, is definitely a, a top 10, top 15 defense in the country right now. Do you, do you think that, I mean, not just Missouri, but teams in general that know they might be a little bit offensively challenged feel more responsibility to lock down on defense every single possession. Sometimes I wonder if, if Missouri or just teams in general that know they're not the best offensive teams just know if we want to have a chance to win, we're going to have to play lockdown defense. I think from a coaching standpoint, yes, they're probably preaching that because they know either from a scheme standpoint or just a talent level standpoint, they're prone to scoring droughts. Mm-hmm. I don't think the players would take that into account necessarily. I th- on an individual player level, they probably all think that they can go get a basket. True. So, and they they think I would hope anyway that they're confident their shots are going to fall. Mm-hmm. So, from a player standpoint, not necessarily. They're I doubt they're thinking we got to get stops because we're because we <laughs> might struggle to score. Yeah. But from a coaching standpoint, when you're sure. a step removed. I don't think you might not say that directly, right? How could you not think that and sort of game plan that way? Yeah. It it just almost seems like I, and even in other sports too, it seems like teams rarely have an elite offense and an elite defense. seems like they usually have one or the other and the other one side that's good has to kind of pick up the slack for the other side. And well, what do we see every year come NCAA tournament time? They basically, if you trying to figure out who you think might win the tournament, ignore any team that has an offense or defense outside of the top 20 mm-hmm. in adjusted efficiency. Yeah. So there's always the teams that are elite at both. Yeah. There's a handful of teams each year that are in the top 20 in both, sometimes in the top 10 in both. And you can pretty much pencil them into the final four most years. So looking ahead, Missouri does not play again until Monday when they play Butler in the what's it called hall of fame classic something like that i get all these classic something yeah <laughs> i get all these tournaments mixed up all i know is we're playing butler and i'm excited about it in kansas city yep so that's pretty cool um hopefully there's a lot of mizzou fans there i don't see why there wouldn't be um last year was kind of a down year for for butler they only won 16 games they were ranked 72nd in Kempom, but this year they bring back some good talent including uh, their star guard Kamar Baldwin he is very good at scoring the ball he um, they they play a pretty balanced as far as their rotations they like to move people in and out of the lineup but uh, I don't know he when he's in the game he is using that possession for himself whether he is scoring or assisting but mostly it's him taking a shot mm-hmm. um i think he'll be tough to stop and then you add in some forwards who are really good at scoring in the paint efficiently and that's basically butler's strength on offense is not turning the ball over and 
being really efficient on their two-point attempts. And that's why they're ranked 27th in the country in offensive efficiency. Yeah. seems like Butler always has super smart, crafty guys on their team. And, um, I, you know, I, I think Baldwin's going to get his in this game. You know, I, he seems to do that in just about any game Butler plays. He's, he's going to be a factor. I think I trust Missouri's defense enough to um, – to be able to limit him so he doesn't go crazy, but he's going to probably still score double digits in this game. But I think the X factor is going to be whether we can stop the, uh, the surrounding players and whether Tillman can, can be effective in the post. Cause um, I don't know. I think these teams are really pretty similar and it's, it could be a pretty good game. Yeah. I mean, when you look at Butler, they're top 25 in Ken Palm 27th on offense, like I said, 37th on defense. I think, I don't know. They play really slow, just like Missouri. They, the one thing that they really have over Missouri is they don't turn the ball over and they also don't steal the ball a lot. So that's good for Missouri. But I think if Missouri is going to win this game, it's going to be like 59 to 58. Like, I think it's going to be really, really close. And every possession is going to be super important. And probably, yeah, there's just, there's not going to be very many possessions. So yeah, you're exactly right. And I don't know. I just think if Butler wins, probably they figure something out and Missouri probably goes on a scoring drought themselves. So maybe we're looking at 64 to 58 if Butler wins, Mm -hmm. but I think it's going to be really close. It may not be the prettiest game because Two pretty None good of defenses. Missouri's games have been pretty this year. Yeah, and that, I mean, on a bigger picture level, that may be the only frustrating thing about Missouri's coach being Conzo Martin is sometimes it's just not that fun to watch. Obviously, if they're winning, it is. But when they lose and they're playing a really slow-paced game, it makes it even more excruciating, in my opinion. Yeah, that first half of Xavier was really painful. Yeah, and those aren't those kind of halves aren't going to go away. No, I mean, maybe, maybe the only thing that would prevent that is landing a guy like Josh Christopher and Jeremiah Tillman coming back for a senior year. Yeah, I think when we picked this game in the preseason, I had them beating Butler, and you had them losing. I don't know if I'm really confident at all in their ability to pull this game out. It's, I think Butler is going to be really good. I think they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. And I just wouldn't be surprised at all if Missouri loses. Yeah, I think I'm going to predict the loss still. Um, I think it'll be a close game. I think Butler just historically as a program just has a knack of pulling these games out. The games that that means something at the end of the year, those, those close, close games or uh, neutral site games. I, I just think that, that in my mind, I feel like Butler is just a team that just is gritty and, and wins these kind of games. They have to win to make it to the postseason. Missouri has not shown that they have a history of doing that, at least in the last three to five years or so. Um, so maybe there's some weird historical bias that doesn't even really <laughs> mean anything in this game, but still I think just plays like a weird intangible factor. Um, but if, you know, Missouri's got the crowd on their side, I, I think that, you know, they certainly have a great chance to win this game. It's really just kind of a coin flip. It's going to come down to what, how efficiently they can use their, their possessions. Cause they just won't be a whole lot of chances. One thing that is in Missouri's favor is Butler has only played home games so far this year. Missouri has, they did go on the road, um, and played a really good game against Xavier. So, um, if this can, the more this can be an away environment for Butler, the better for Missouri. And I don't know. I think maybe Butler might not be ready for an away game environment. So I know that's sort of an intangible thing, but I think it could play a factor. Those things still matter. So if Missouri wins, they play the winner of Oklahoma and Stanford. Um, Oklahoma is ranked 31st in Ken Palm offensively. They're at 49th defensively 23rd and they are four and with wins over Minnesota and Oregon state. They are 
not very similar to Missouri. They play pretty fast. They're uh, in the top 100 in Ken Palm in tempo. And they don't turn the ball over on offense. They don't force turnovers on defense. And they don't foul at all. So those are just some kind of little factoids. If Missouri does end up playing Oklahoma, I think it will be really interesting to see Missouri play a team that wants to push the ball. And I really hope they do get to play Oklahoma. Of course, that means they beat Butler. But yeah, even if if Missouri loses, I kind of will be hoping that Oklahoma loses as well, just so that we can see Missouri go up against a team that is not like any of these others kind that they face so far. Something's got to give matchup. Yeah. Stanford, on the other hand, uh, they are 79th in Ken Palm. They're 5-0, and but no wins inside the Ken Palm Top 100. And like Butler, they've played all their games at home so far this year. They're a really good shooting team, both from two and three, uh, though they don't shoot very many threes. And their defense is solid across the board, but their strength is generating turnovers, specifically with steals. So that would be another good matchup for Missouri, just to really test their defense against a team that shoots the ball really well and test their offense against a team that generates turnovers so either way we're going to learn a lot about this missouri team by the end of next week Mm -hmm. yeah good good resume builders potentially no matter what happens in the butler game um it's just good to get these kind of teams on the schedule for strength of schedule analytics and just for the experience of playing tough teams in a neutral site environment i couldn't have said it better thank you Anything else on basketball-related uh, stuff before we switch over to football? Use code big hits. That's it. Yep. I agree. So, football. Missouri played against Florida. I know maybe it didn't seem like it, but they were there on the field. And once again, Missouri lost. So they lost 23-6. to They are now 5-5 five and five overall, 2-4 and four in the SEC. And basically, just like the Georgia game, the defense kept Missouri in it. It was only 6-3 to three at halftime. But Missouri's offense couldn't do anything. And eventually, the defense just can't hold on any longer. Mm-hmm. And Florida was able to get a couple touchdowns and put it away. Yeah, they, uh, once again, just the offense looked like zombies out there. I don't know if that's because... Florida's defense is as good as it is because they have a great defense, uh, but I'm sure it's still just a combination of that and Missouri's offense is also dreadful. So um, kind of knew this would happen, um, just given what's happened in the last few weeks. I just don't – I don't have a lot of thoughts on it, man. Like this game just pretty much went exactly as expected and the fan base is really not happy right now i was honestly shocked to see how well attended the game was it was still like this i think it was the second uh highest attended game in the barry odom era i think uh don't quote me on that but either way it was well attended i did not think that was going to happen because at least just from judging by twitter i feel like people literally want barry odom like dead at this point (laughs) not literally but it's just it's ugly man and people are are rightfully really ticked off and at this point probably reaching like apathetic levels which is a scary point to get to yes it definitely is um uh, regarding the attendance i think that just playing a top 10 ish team in florida that'll bring the crowd out i went to a game against florida i think in 2015 when things were not going well and this was a game in november and but Florida was like a top 10 team. And so when they was, had Will Greer, I think. Yeah, and it was pretty. It was a pretty well-attended game as well, although there were a lot of Florida fans there, which uh, could have contributed this time as well. Um, yeah, I just don't know what to say about the offense anymore. I mean, I probably shouldn't say that since this is a podcast where we're supposed to talk, but uh, <laughs> the, the running game is just gone. Yeah, I think, they, I think Larry Roundtree had like seven carries. He and Beatty combined for 11 rushes for 32 yards. Like what? Like what's happening? Why? Like why are we abandoning that so quickly? When it's, I mean, still not great. Offensive line's not getting a whole lot of push. But do you see anything out of this pass game that gives you promise that we just need to keep pounding the pass game and we're going to be fine and we're going to 
find a way to to make it work? Clearly not. When I don't know if that's a scheme problem. I don't know if it's Kelly Bryant. I don't know if it's the receivers dropping passes. It's probably some kind of combination of everything. But nothing works on offense, especially the pass game. Just feed Larry Roundtree. See what happens. Yeah, I mean, if anybody out there has seen any quote or anything from Coach Dooley about why they've kind of abandoned the running game, please link us to it because I don't know. Did you see Dooley's quote about saying, yeah, we're pretty much in football hell right now? Yeah, the offense, yeah. Like, it's kind of hilarious and also kind of disturbing, a quote. And it's true, man. It's like they're so they they're so bad, and they were really pretty – I don't know if I'd say good, but they were really serviceable Yeah, like a month ago. Right. What happened? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I think – and you can't even say that, like, the level of play from their opponents – that's not the whole story. Not at all. Because I mean, this, whole, this whole thing started with a loss to Vanderbilt. Yeah, I mean, they, they beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a decent team. They've got a fantastic quarterback who can do anything. He can throw, he can run uh, very, very well. And the they've got a the pretty good secondary, and Missouri, like, carved him up. And that was a month ago. So I, I, I just, at this point, I'm completely lost for – what's happened the analytics don't know what to do i mean right rightfully so it's like complete two completely different teams in the same season so i'm team basilac at this point i think <laughs> just get them get them some reps and see what happens yeah i mean there's no there's not much of a downfield passing game i mean <laughs> I well they had know. that one nice pass to Jalen knox and yeah. then didn't really try to do it ever again and i feel like uh but, how, but i mean that was like the first play like that in yes like a month yeah and it's weird because kelly bryant looks like he has time i think the offensive line is pretty good at pass blocking and that may be why Dooley's just like fine we can't run block at all so yeah. if you can be serviceable pass blocking then we'll just do that it's just weird that it looks like there's been multiple times where kelly bryant has all day to throw it's like as clean as a pocket as it could possibly get, and he just doesn't throw it. Like he just kind of holds on to it for a while, can't make a decision. It's like a guy's got to be wide freaking open for him to throw the ball, and so it looks like there's some indecision, some lack of confidence. Just making uh, you, at some point, you just have to trust your wide receiver to go make a play, and so it looks like Kelly Bryant's unwilling to do that. But also I understand because these wide receivers haven't shown they can really go and make a play either. You know, they drop a lot of passes and. I don't know, man. It's just both both sides are just kind of not willing to work with each other at this point. And I I don't know if it's – I'm sure Barry Odom and, and Derek Dooley have to, you know, take some blame for not figuring out a way to get these guys to work together. But I just don't know what, to, what else to say. So two things I want to talk about. First, let's get this out of the way. The um, appeal of the bull ban. Still don't know what's happening with that. This may be like conspiracy theory territory, but is there any chance that the NCAA is for some reason waiting to see if Missouri becomes bowl eligible? Sure. To tell them their decision? Like in theory that shouldn't weigh in no, at, not all. at all. But I but the human element of it, sure. I, I mean I've wondered that myself. There what possible explanation could you have for it taking this much longer than what they told everybody it would take. And I, I don't know very much about the appeal process of these kind of cases. I don't know how long they typically take. I don't know how, what percentage of the time they're way overdue on making a decision. I don't know how common this is, but clearly that has to be considered at this point that they're watching Missouri season to see how it goes. I don't even know what that would mean. Exactly. As far <laughs> I don't know how that would reflect their decision, <laughs> but are we rooting for Missouri to make a bowl to qualify for a bowl so that maybe they'll not get not to go. give the I don't I don't know. Are they Would they would would they be more likely to win the appeal if they were bowl eligible? Or I think so, but I don't I don't know. At this point I don't think the NCAA I just don't know. I don't I don't know the NCAA really cares. Yeah, I don't know. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of I don't knows going on <laughs> right now. And if you have answers on this stuff, then I'd like to know because we'll have you on the show. Yeah, okay, please tell us tell us w- what's going on. So Missouri has two games left. They play Tennessee this weekend, then they play Arkansas. There's only three things that could happen. They could win both games, be seven and five. They could split them, be six and six. They could lose out and be five and seven. Kyle, which do you think is the most likely scenario? Uh, I think they're going to be six and six. I think they'll lose to Tennessee and beat Arkansas. Um, it seems crazy, absolutely crazy that the the ceiling for this team is seven and five right now. Considering before the year, if you would have told me we went seven and five, I would that that would just be devastating. Um, to think of what the expectations were, I would have told you Kelly Bryant got hurt, right, uh, or or something. I don't know. I don't I don't know how I could have possibly imagined a scenario in my mind that this team might not even get to seven and five with two games left on the schedule. Yeah, that. You're exactly right. Like Kelly Bryant has missed four starts. Like if that's the, the situation, if you're telling me that at the beginning of the season, that's what I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. So Tennessee, we, if I would have asked you at the beginning of the season, which is more likely Missouri beats Tennessee again, 53 to 17 or whatever, 51 to 17. 50 to 17? 50 to 17. Thank you. Or Tennessee beats Missouri. You would, I would have taken 50 to 17 all day. What's more likely? Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning of the season. Versus just a Tennessee win in, in yeah. any margin. Yeah. Yeah. I probably would have told you a 70% confidence that Missouri would 50 ball them again. So Missouri's favored by four, five, five and a half, somewhere mm-hmm. in that range. Less than a touchdown yeah. at home. Tennessee's five and five, three and three in conference. They, I said it uh, a couple weeks ago, they're hot, hot, hot. Yeah, they are. They have won four out of their last five, including wins against Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Kentucky. Which Kentucky destroyed Missouri two weeks, two or three weeks ago, whenever that was. So uh, they have some common opponents, and Tennessee has done well against teams that Missouri struggled against. So, um, I'm honestly surprised that Missouri's favored by in this game, if at least by that margin. And I think honestly, a lot of it has to do with uh, odds makers going by the analytics that are confused, <laughs> because it just doesn't make any sense at this point why Missouri would be favored by five points or whatever. Yeah, it is. I mean it should be three at most if you want to give them home field advantage. Yeah, yeah, and I think they were only, you know, Florida's only favored by like six points. I think, uh, and I thought to myself, I would pound florida in in that matchup so and sure enough they won easily and i i just i don't know i'm i mean it's nice that the odds makers have uh have faith in mizzou but i just don't is it nice i don't know kind of sets you up for failure a little bit i guess but i i think i even remember at the beginning before the season started i think this summer they came out with the the win total the over win under. total yeah. uh, yes over under and i think it was like six and a half and i was finding any way i could possibly to to put a bet on that i and i don't bet on sports i've never <laughs> done it before but i was like i gotta figure out a way to put a bet on this because i would bet my life i would bet everything i owned that missouri is going to win more than six and a half games and this is the easiest bet i've ever seen and sure enough after you know a day or two of people putting bets on it it, it shot up to like eight or something yeah. and uh here we are People were probably still get, taking the over yeah. at eight. Yeah. And here we are. If I would have somehow put up bet, I never figured out a way to, to do it legally because <laughs> I live in Missouri, but I'm sure there's a way, but I didn't find it. But I would be sweating bullets right now <laughs> because I don't I don't think Missouri's going to get over six and a half. I just don't. Well, we did have a friendly wager with producer Cameron where we were just taking Missouri's win total versus Nebraska's win total. And that's actually going to be really close. Yeah. What's what's Nebraska at to put you on the spot? I mean, they're they're just as bad. I mean, I feel like they're probably around the same. I want to say they've got five wins, and they have four wins. They're four mm, and six. So we're still in the lead, barely. Yep. They play at Maryland, and then they play at home against Iowa. 
So at most, I'm thinking five wins for them. Yeah. So if we can just beat Arkansas, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. That's terrible. I really did not think that would be that close of a bet no. either. I thought that was like literally free money. Yeah. Okay. Back to Tennessee. Quarterback, Jarrett Garantano. Nice. Close enough. Mm-hmm. He's completing 62% of his passes for 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns, and five interceptions. So he is your typical pocket passer uh, for Tennessee. But they have a second quarterback named Brian Mar- Maurer. Sounds right. <laughs> he is only completing 48% of his passes with only two touchdowns and five interceptions, but two rushing touchdowns as well. So Tennessee has used three quarterbacks in some games this year um the one they affectionately refer to as jg (laughs) uh i mean i you kind of hope that they'll put the running quarterback out there but at the same time this is not um bowden for south carolina no this is not the same type of athlete this is not even the same type of guy as Ole miss has not even close so if they want to put Maurer out there, I'm all for it. But I have a feeling this is going to be an ugly game with bad offense from a quarterback in JG who is just okay, a uh, rushing offense for Tennessee that's not going to really do much, and Missouri's typical offense that they've been the last four games. Cameron, I'm going to have to tell you something. that's uh, It's not going to be fun to say it, um, but I think – you need to hear it. Okay. I think I could play quarterback for Tennessee this weekend, and we we saying me and the Tennessee, if I was on the squad, we still might have a chance to win because Missouri's defense is playing really, really well right now, like as good as I could have possibly asked of them uh, before the season. And Tennessee's still probably going to score, you know, 14, 17, 21 points even with Missouri playing good defense. Missouri's offense, just I don't think they can prove that they can hang with like literally anyone. Who can they score against? If they couldn't score against Vanderbilt, who are they going to score against? We hope Arkansas. We hope Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's literally that bad that if Tennessee scores 14 points in this game, I think it's over. You're right. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty. That was tough to tell. That was tough to say. But you, you needed to know. Okay. Do you want to just give our predictions for this game? Let's do it. I'm predicting for the third week in a row, Missouri to lose, and my score prediction is. I think this game is going to go to, into overtime. Oh wow! It's going to be tied seventeen all. At the end of the fourth quarter. And then don't check my math on this. Tennessee's going to pull it out. I'm thinking probably Missouri doesn't even score in overtime. And Tennessee gets a touchdown. And it's, I don't know if they kick the extra point in that situation, but 24-17 Tennessee. That's pretty close to what I was going to say. I'm going to say 24-13 Tennessee. I don't know if Missouri can score 13 points. I don't know if Tennessee can score 24 points against Missouri's defense, but we'll see. 24-13, you said? Mm-hmm. If Missouri wins this game, and okay, we'll just say we'll play a little. We'll play a little. Uh, Let's play it. A little hypothetical here, and I don't want to, you know, get into like a 30-minute discussion about this because there's plenty of other discussions going on online about this, but. I just want to know what you think. If Missouri wins these next two games, is Barry Odom safe? What Are you asking me what I think will happen or what I think should happen? Both. If Missouri wins both games, yes. he is safe and should be safe. Okay. Do you agree? I think I agree with you. I, I agree that he will be safe if they do. I'm not 100% sure he should be. Um, but we don't know what's happening in the locker room. And I don't know if something awful has happened. I don't know if it's just guys that have lost confidence. I I don't know if it's a Barry Odom thing. Obviously, when you're the leader of a program, you are you take the fall and you take you and you know 
whenever something good happens, you know, you, you can take the credit too. When something, when they're playing as bad as they are, obviously you are to blame. Um, however, some things are just like weirdly out of your control, depending on the situation. I don't know what it is. I, th- I don't know, man. I, I feel like weird saying that Barry Odom should be given a chance to show he can break out of this, but if he doesn't, then we're I'm gonna look stupid for saying that. Well, I don't I don't think you look stupid for saying that. I mean, but this is coming from someone who is reasonable. Well, yeah, <laughs> tries to be. But I'm on. Uh, I was gonna say I'm along the same train of thought as you, where I think you gotta give a guy a chance to find his way out and give him a chance to be successful again and i'm afraid what will happen is they will have a bad offense in these last two games and they will move on from Dooley as offensive coordinator not really upgrade much and with the question marks at quarterback coming in next year have a bad offense again because I mean you're looking at basically the same offensive line same wide receivers the same running backs you plug in a different quarterback it didn't work with Taylor Powell this year Bazelak maybe so I think what will happen is they'll replace the offensive coordinator and still have a bad offense next year and if the season is really bad then they'll get rid of Odom but I don't know. If you're going to stick with Odom past this year, I think you should just give Dooley another shot as well. That's probably an unpopular opinion, but... Unpopular, sure. Uh, in fact, I think I may have cursed Dooley because if you recall, after the Ole Miss game, which is the last game they played well, I think, right? Would they play Vanderbilt the next game after Ole Miss? I think... I'm pretty sure. On this podcast, uh, I publicly praised Dooley for the job he had done because I felt like the offense was playing pretty well and I, I just enjoyed his play calling. I thought he had a really nice balance of, of run and pass. And I felt like situationally he was making the right calls on third and short and stuff like that. There was obviously a couple of blunders. They're always going to be, but I publicly said, I think Dooley's doing a great job. And then literally the next game we've entered like this wasteland that we're still in football. Hell, some people Fo- would call it quite literally football. Hell. So I apologize if that's my <laughs> fault for all of this that's happened. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. if I kind of said, when you said that, I remember me saying he hasn't really, we haven't really put him in that situation yet to really put him under the microscope. But I still don't think even with, like the question is why are you, why are you abandoning the run? If he's got any sort of reasonable explanation for that, and it could just be, have you looked at the box scores? Have you seen the offensive line push on running plays? That's enough for me to be like, okay, yeah, whatever. I mean, he's still not, outside of just abandoning the run, I still can't really fault him. I, I mean, there's no like big plays or drives that just make zero sense. You know, I'm, I'm not seeing much of that. So I don't think your assessment after the old Miss game has really changed all that much. It's just there's no success. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. I, I, I would just love to know if somebody could tell me the answer of how, like, where can we put the blame? Where, who can we blame in the situation? Because clearly somebody's not doing what they were. And I don't know if, you know, I, I think it's fair to, to question the players too. I mean, you just can't always say it's always Barry Odom's fault just because something happened. I mean, clearly he's the man that's got to fix it, but, um, I don't know. I think that some, some blame is to put on the, on the players, you know, certain players are not playing as well as they could or should be playing. Yeah. We need like a college football historian that just can like rattle off teams that have had mid season collapse collapses on the offensive side of the ball. This is a pretty, I feel like this is a historic collapse for sure. So we need like a a college football historian who can just be like, oh yeah, I remember when uh, Miami had a similar situation back in 2011. I just completely made that up. What was the cause? Yeah. And this is what they determined. (laughs) Yeah. And what happened like the year after? Yeah. Yeah. Can somebody like contact a historian, a football historian and (laughs) like 
tell us what tell us the answers we we seek but yeah i i mean i'm trying not to reach apathetic levels i think you know as a pretty big missouri fan it's pretty hard for me to get to that point um i'm i'm still like i'm still eager to see what happens this weekend because i think it's obviously massive for the future of barry odom and really just the football program for the next couple of years because if barry odom's gone then we go into rebuild mode and everything's different so you know this this is a really big game and I'm, I'm eager to see how the offense can respond against playing a not as good defense for the first time in a few weeks and see if they can figure something out yeah one question that i will always have is if jim sterk were was the athletic director when gary pinkle retired what decision he would have made and we'll never know that and i wonder if we may actually if if barry odom gets replaced and it is someone who could have stepped in at that time then we maybe know that that's what would have happened but realistically we will never know what would have happened in that situation um i wish Jim Sterk had been the athletic director instead of Mac Rhodes. <laughs> Just completely get rid of that time. Um, but because I've said it before, just how he knew exactly who he wanted for the basketball team and just went out and got him. And there's, for some reason, I just don't think that that would have been Barry Odom. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point, and I think you're probably right. Um, it's interesting to me that Mac Rhodes went to Baylor and then immediately hired uh, Matt Rule, who's been really good at Baylor. And Mac Rhodes has seemingly been just fine at Baylor. And sometimes places just aren't a good fit for certain people. And that clearly was the case with Mac Rhodes. I mean, he was the Missouri is just in a different state of just a different state than they are now. And um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why he chose to hire Barry Odom. I don't know how much other factors, other coaches were a factor, but yeah, I I've thought about that many times. What, what would have been different if, if Jim Sterk was the guy then? Well, on all that, uh, on those positive notes, let's move on okay. to our college football playoff game, wherein we have all, including producer Cameron chosen four teams to represent us in the college football playoff and whoever has the most teams that make the final four at the end of the season is the winner. I have a squad of LSU, Clemson, Minnesota, and Baylor. Kyle has Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, and Utah. Producer Cameron has Ohio state, Oklahoma, Florida, and Auburn. So as it stands right now, I'm the only one with two teams in the top four that can all change though. And of course we know, Georgia and LSU are in line to play each other in the SEC championship. Producer Cameron had to leave a little bit early, so he has told us he would like to change Auburn and pick up Penn State, who is ranked eighth, I think. Something like that, and they play Ohio State this weekend, so that'll be... So a, he's gonna a litmus test right off the yeah. right off the bat. I mean, might as well though yeah. for him. He has to try out Penn State, see if they can get the upset. Yeah, if they if they pull off the upset, then he he hit the jackpot for sure. Um, I was hoping he wouldn't do that, but of course he had the pick in front of me. So I guess I'm just gonna stick with who I have because, in theory, Minnesota and Baylor could both win their conference, and maybe a one loss Big Ten championship. Big Ten champion in Minnesota could leapfrog Alabama for that fourth spot if Georgia loses. I was going through all the scenarios, and I guess I just got to hold on to Minnesota and Baylor and hope that they can just pick up a few kind of crazy wins here at the end. And I assume you're not going to change any teams. No, but I've got Alabama, and their stock just took a tumble with uh, Tua going down. Obviously not trading them out, but... That's unfortunate. Oregon, though, looking like a really good pick. Because I think if Georgia... Well, what do you think happens if when LSU and Georgia play, if Georgia loses, that'll be their second loss. They also lost to South Carolina, so they'd be out of the top four. Mm -hmm. I feel like that spot belongs to Oregon if they win out. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so much that can happen, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think anybody can come out of the Big Ten other than Ohio State at this point. Um, I don't even. I don't know. There's just too. There's just too many factors at this point. But what happens if Georgia beats LSU in the like SEC championship game? Is LSU still not a lock? But are, are, I feel like you got to keep them in there. Yeah, they've done. They've done too much to. Yeah. To be counted out. And at that point, you're just like factoring in recency bias like way too much. Right. Yeah, because if LSU and Georgia. They both still have the same resume, essentially. Right. Yeah. But like you said, Except there's still L- a lot that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, producer Cameron picks up Penn State. And now we can move on to SEC Pick'em plus Nebraska. Last week was pretty straightforward. Uh, we both went 6-0 and because all the favorites won. This is supposed to be an entertainment podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're all, we, we both just picked the exact same games. Well, this week isn't going to be much more entertaining because the SEC has their designated play cupcakes week this week. And uh, I'll give you the scores real quick. Kyle has 60 points and I have 66 points. And with many SEC teams playing FCS opponents, we don't have a lot to choose from. So we're only picking three games this week. The first of those is Texas A&M at Georgia. Georgia is a 13 and a half point favorite at home. Yeah, I got to go Georgia here. Yeah, me too. They uh disposed of Auburn last week. Then uh what will probably be a one of the closer games this week in college football, Arkansas on the road at number 1 LSU. LSU a 42 and a half point favorite. That's got to be one of the biggest spreads in like SEC history. That's insane. 42 and a half. Like, think about that for a minute. That's what the odds makers expect the margin of victory to be. 42 and a half. Like, 42, if you score 42 points in an SEC game, that is like... LSU is probably going to score 60 against Arkansas. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting game just to watch purely for the spread. Yeah, pad the stats. I mean, if, if you're trying to get a Heisman Trophy... This is a game to just kind of go off, throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns and yeah, or just, take the fourth quarter off. Or just try to win the national championship game and let Joe Joe Burrow sit after the first quarter. Well, I'm saying he's going to get the fourth quarter off. <laughs> I mean, you got to let him you got to let him pad his stats a little bit. I guess, yeah. If he gets I don't, hurt. I don't think Arkansas is even going to come close to touching him. <laughs> so he might be right I didn't think about that. They're probably not even good enough to... He's as likely to get injured in this game as he is like going to the grocery store. You're probably right. So that being said, I'm taking taking LSU. (laughs) I think I will too. And then we have Nebraska, who is a five-point favorite on the road at Maryland. This is a tough one. I can see this going either way. I feel like... I really want to pick Nebraska because I feel like I truly feel like they're going to win this game. Sounds I, like a good reason to pick them. That's what I'm going to have to do. <laughs> I'm going to pick Dang, Nebraska. Dude. Do you know anything about Maryland? They're not good. They have three wins this year. Uh, I mean, you have you can't be very good and be a five point underdog at home. That's true. I can a team that's also not good. Yeah. All right, I'll pick Maryland. <laughs> See how okay. it goes. <laughs> I was like, literally about to write Nebraska. I always do. And that. I was like, oh, I always what? like switch it up on you. Well, I'll enjoy the free point. Yeah, probably. Anything else you want to talk about this week? You want to talk about uh, the Astros stealing signs? <laughs> I think I saw some a uh, video about that. What's the guy's name? That John the, Boy. John Boy. Yeah, that, I. I saw that video of him doing the the bang before oh, yeah. a change up or whatever. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, go look that up. Go look up the uh, Astro stealing signs. It's pretty interesting. There's it's indefensible. Yeah, kick him out of the league. I kick say him out. I, I honestly I'm fine with uh, with stealing signs like the old fashioned way. Go for it. I don't Absolutely. care if you're just like being observant. Go yeah. for it. There's nothing wrong with it. But the way they were doing it with like video, that's that's pretty that's pretty sleazy. I would call it cheating. Yeah, that's a uh, you could use that word for sure. I, I, that's, that's cheating. Okay, but um, do you want to talk about Manscaped again, or do you have you had enough of that? 
I would never have enough Manscaped. <laughs> and all that matters is use code big heads. That's true. Merry Christmas. You want to tell them where they can find us? Oh, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on Twitter, at Mizzou Sports Pod. And you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. Please tell us everything that's going wrong with Missouri's offense. Give us all the the answers, the million-dollar answers that we've been searching for. If you have a one-dollar answer, I'll take that as well. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week.